0: On today's episode of the Stuff Up Podcast, we will be discussing bulimia. Since this is a very difficult topic and can be triggering for some, listener discretion is advised. My special guest today is psychotherapist, eating disorder therapist, podcaster, and author of Bulimia Sucks, Kate Hudson Hall. On the episode today, we will be talking about eating disorders, how they can start. Kate shares her own journey how she became bulimic and how she was able to overcome it and how she helps others. We will be discussing triggers and also the different techniques and ways that people are able to overcome eating disorders. Hello, and welcome to the Stuff Up podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. My name is Stephanie, and I am here with author, psychotherapist, and eating disorder therapist, Kate Hudson-Hall. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for coming Oh, hello. (laughs) I love how you talk,
1: too. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Don't know about that. But it's (laughs)
0: lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, I met you because I was on your podcast Yeah, talking about uh, Bulimia Sucks and we were talking about your book as well called Bulimia Sucks and yes. I read your book and it was so well written and you had so many awesome tools and tips and just, oh, there was so much to go through and it was amazing. Um, so I definitely want to talk to you about that. But can you tell us a little bit about your your own story with bulimia?
1: Oh, my story. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so it started my when I had bulimia, it started from a suggestion. There was other contributing factors to it. Like I so I was 18 years old and I felt that I was heavier than I had been, but that was just because I was always really skinny. And then I was developing a late developer and, you know, got a bit curvy, but nothing. I wasn't overweight or anything. But my friend came over to see me and we'd had dinner and we were sitting there and talking about our non-existent weight issues. Um, And then she said to me, oh, and the power of suggestion, did you know if you eat a Mars bar and make yourself sick, you won't put the weight on? And that was the seed. That was the main seed that I ran with. So I'd had a very difficult time. Um, I was sexually abused when I was nine. And then I went to boarding school and that was not very easy for me. Um, And then um, there were other areas that were difficult in my life. And so the behavior of my eating disorder developed severely and continued for 15 years. So Mm. I had anorexia and bulimia, and I had it badly, very badly. And it went on and on and on. But at the time, I honestly thought I was going mad because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And because it was back in the 1800s, because I am that old. (laughs) Um, there was no internet and there was hardly any books about it. And any books that were written about it um, were very um, academic. So, uh, you know, my state of mind, I couldn't really read very well anyway, but, you know, read a book. Um, and so there wasn't any information out there to get any help. Oh dear, it was very difficult.
0: It was difficult very- in those days. Be- you know, we think about before the internet, you would go to a book, but you, like you said, yeah, there were, there were like these scientific-y kind of books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I can't read this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And oh, what I put my mother through, she had nowhere to reach to, nobody to talk to about it because, well, she had the, the family and there was always big conversations and about my behavior because it was obvious what I was doing. Um, and as soon as I walked back in the room, everything, everybody would go quiet and it was all swept away under the carpet. Even though my mother did try and approach me about it a couple of times, um, I was in complete denial and I wasn't ready to address it at those times until finally one day she said to me, right, okay, you know, try to approach it again. And I, I suppose I was at that point where I thought, oh. God, I've got to do something here because I just, I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't even eat an apple without that sending me into a binge. Wow. It was just so traumatic. It was horrific. Um, so she took me, she dragged me to the, the doctor. Um, and the doctor, I think even he probably had never seen anybody with an eating disorder, particularly bulimia. And he said to me, so, well, why do you make yourself sick? and i always remember that and i think well, if, I, if i if i knew the answer to that i wouldn't be sitting here i would have done something about it yeah i went to see a psychiatrist and then the i went to see a counselor who was, you know wasn't the right fit for me um and then i found a private therapist who was a slight help and then i found i don't know how i found this because we didn't have the internet but i found the in the uk at the time the the eating disorders association which is now called beat um and i i must have called them up and then each week so i was assigned a therapist and it was amazing because they sent you a whole kind of package in the beginning and it had a um a sheet of the foods that you should eat and then a little Booklet for that week for you to fill out, or a number of booklets. And each week you had to fill out this book about what you'd eaten and your feelings. And at the time, I didn't know what a feeling was. I had no idea what a feeling was. I was in complete, it was like a complete detachment. And then once a week on the telephone, I would speak to the therapist and I would have to send the booklet to her each week. So we would talk about the the previous week. So it was all very old fashioned because we didn't have sweeping of emails. (laughs) And that was a real eye opener for me because this, this sheet of food that they expected me to eat every day was just unbelievable amounts of food. I had to eat two bits of bread at lunchtime. Mm. But I did, that was quite a grounding for me to a learning for me to begin to start to nourish my body and then and then eventually i found a psychotherapist who was fantastic and and i think that's really important when you have a therapist that you find somebody that you feel 100% comfortable with yeah that you can open up and talk about your true feelings
0: that is so yeah you have to feel safe with them Otherwise Safe. it's like, yes. uh, I don't really want to tell you stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's a real key to find, you know, to getting that help. And at the time I was, my mother, when I was seeing her, cause I saw her for four years, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and she lived for two years and then she died all of a sudden. And I do believe that if I wasn't seeing that psychotherapist at that time, I wouldn't be here today. I believe she saved my life.
0: Wow. Because that would have spent,
1: sent you spiraling. Well, it did, but she helped me to, to get back on right. track. So I find
0: it, I think a lot of people, myself included, didn't know that you can actually have anorexia and bulimia at the same time. I think kind of we think of them as like two separate things. Can you yeah. kind of explain how that works? Having
1: to. Well, I would, I would, for days on end, I would try not to eat. And then I would obviously get so hungry that I would go crazy and binge on any foods that I could find. Mm-hmm. And then I would do that many times a day. And then I would, the next day, try and starve myself again. And that would go on for days again. And that whole pattern carried on. Mm-hmm.
0: I, and I think uh, I, you and I talked about this with the dieting. I've been through so many of these diets and I've gone to seminars where they talk about eating this way. And I last for maybe two weeks. And then I just I can't handle it. And I binge. And then you feel like something's wrong with you because why, why are they able to do it? And I struggle, right? Mm. And I remember even emailing, um, one of the guys who did a sem- web, these seminars. And I, after I found out that binge eating that I had that, and it was actually in the DSM, um, like, I think it went in what, 2010 or something or. Yeah. 11 or
1: something. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so I emailed him and I was like, just to let you know, if you wanted to, you sh- not, you should, but, um, it would be helpful For people who do have eating disorders, if you maybe mention that there could be some other reason that maybe they should see somebody if they have compulsions to eat, because in those seminars, you just feel like, okay, this is how I got to eat. Okay, I can do that. And then when you fail, you're like, oh, I'm a failure. And you don't know that you actually have other issues and you need healing in those areas. Do you find yeah. that with a lot of people that you coach with, that they've been through these kind of diet programs
1: and they feel like that all the time? Everybody, absolutely everybody. And I think a real key with that is that what is really important on the road to recovery is that we know diets don't work because the t- statistics have prov- proven them um, uh, time and time again That if you deprive yourself of the foods, and it's amazing because, yes, some people do lose the weight and get down to their ideal goal weight. But then they will only end up, I can't remember what the percentage is, but the percentage is like, you know, 95% of people put the weight back on over time. And when, you know, what's really important is that we, if you deprive yourself of having that that last piece of chocolate cake in the fridge, you will go around the kitchen and eat everything else to try and satisfy that feeling. And then eventually end up eating that last piece of chocolate cake. So depriving yourself of the foods doesn't work. So if you really want to have that piece of chocolate, last piece of chocolate, have it. And that's fine. Of course, within reason, but have it. That that is such a good
0: thing to put out there for people because we, even in the media, right? You yeah. see on these on these TV shows and stuff. Oh, I'm I'm eating gluten free and I'm not eating sugar and I've tried that myself. I don't last very long because mm. then you know a few days I'm like I gotta have all the sugar. And That's so what all my
1: clients say, yeah, that come for with weight issues, come to learn how to address those difficult feelings connected with food. But they all say that. They say that, yes, you know, when I go on a diet, I will last for like two or three days. And then, but then there are some times that they can keep it going and then they lose the weight, but then they come back because, you know, a year later, they're back where they started. And then normally people put more weight on. Right. That's why with the the whole uh, keto but yeah. I would hear
0: my friends, oh, I lost so much weight. And I was thinking, I don't know if I could ever, if I could not even have things like quinoa, like, I, you know, breads maybe, but it's, it's so hard. And then I'm thinking, mm-hmm. but if I did go off it, I probably would then binge on it anyways later and then just gain all the way back. So,
1: yeah. And I think if you, you, know, one of the key, real key avenues to becoming slimmer is, You have to address those conscious and unconscious reasons of why you're reaching out for the food when you know you're not hungry for it. What is really going on for you? I know I'm not hungry for this food. What feelings am I trying to change? Yeah. That's what you need to ask yourself. And then make a list of those and start to work with those with some sort of tool we were talking about before we were talking about the tapping technique the emotional freedom technique I mean that is an amazing technique to help people to begin to break those difficult behaviors and change the way they feel or the way they think and it's a really excellent technique and everybody should be doing it I believe (laughs) And for people that don't know, I'll just say quickly what it is. So it's a routine of points that you tap on, majority of them on your face, while thinking about any negative feeling. And once you've learned the routine of points, then you can do the tapping anywhere at any time. And you can change the way you feel. It's it's completely bizarre. I hold my hands up because it's all to do with the body's energy. So like it's like acupuncture, which many people have had acupuncture. So that's working with the body's energy. But it is by tapping on the routine of points, you're actually tapping on the meridian channel endings, which is where they put the needles in for acupress- acu- acupuncture. And so you're actually tapping on these points and because it's to do with the energy by tapping on these specific points when somebody has a problem there's a blockage in the energy inside of us so by tapping on these points you get the energy flowing around again so you can be you could be on a scale from 0 to 10 you could be a 10 with a negative feeling when it's absolutely at its worst And then sometimes you can do one round of tapping on these specific points. And then afterwards you go, oh, what was I so worried about? What was going on? And it's gone completely after one round of tapping. It's completely. And then other times you do rounds of tapping and you obviously do your scale beforehand. You do your scale after you've done a round of tapping. And it might take you know a few times to get that scale because the key is to get it down to a zero. It might take a few times, and keep going around with your tapping to get that feeling reduced right down to a zero. But that's okay. You just have to keep working at it. But it's amazing, and everybody should be
0: doing it. That is fascinating. I remember reading that in your book, and you you actually even explain how to how to do it, and how, you actually go through quite a lot of different tips for people um which is super helpful you also talked about hypnosis yes and actually in your book or uh you have a a link to you actually do a recording for people yeah so that they can get used to or hearing your voice and learning how to kind of go through hypnosis so how does hypnosis actually
1: how does it help people for those who don't know S- Yeah, so I think that's a great question. So the way that it works is, so with hypnotherapy, hypnosis, so you've got your conscious mind, which is your everyday decision-making mind. It's that little voice that talks to you all the time in your head. That is your conscious mind. And then you have your subconscious mind, your unconscious mind, that deals with everything else. So it deals with all your habits and your emotions and your behaviours and everything else that you don't consciously do. So beat your heart for you because you don't actually consciously do that. <laughs> so you've got your conscious mind and your unconscious mind. So when somebody has a problem, whatever the problem, the two are out of sync. So it's figuring out specifically what is going on with the unconscious, with the conscious and the unconscious mind. And then working in trance, and changing that behavior with the unconscious mind. So many people that come to see me, they they think that having hypnosis is going to be like something they've seen on the TV or show they've been (laughs) to. And they quite often say to me, I don't want to end up dancing around like a chicken. (laughs) They do. (laughs) And I say, well, that's not going to happen. And when you are in a trance, there's many different levels of trance. It's a bit like riding a bike. So we're in and out of trances all day, every day. So I don't know, for example, if you have been maybe watching TV and then somebody's talking to you and (laughs) then afterwards you've gone, what did they say to me? That was because you're in a trance about watching that TV show. Or if you've been driving and then you miss your, you know, you're on the motorway and you miss the turning because you've been off thinking about something else. So that is a form of trance. So there's lots of different levels of trance. But sitting with a hypnotherapist, the key is to relax. So it's like being in a very, very relaxed state. But you may have some sort of unconscious body movement, like your head might nod or your finger may rise. But you think, well, I, my head did nod, but I didn't actually consciously make it nod. So that is all it's like. It's just like being in that very relaxed state. And some people, they, they, they get different sensations. So some people might get just a very heavy feeling and their limbs go very, very heavy. Or they might get a, like a floating sensation or a detached feeling. But being in a trance is my favorite place to be. Oh, yes. Because it's so relaxing. It's excellent.
0: Do you, do you have like a, a place that you go to, like uh, the beach or something, when you're in that trance? like what, where, What does it feel like for you when you're being hypnotized? are you somewhere
1: else or like? are you kind so, of like... so it depends on what we're working on but sometimes i will take my clients on a journey maybe somewhere that they i would have asked them before a favorite place that the most relaxing place that they know or or a favorite area or sometimes we will um It depends if somebody is coming for the first session, I will spend longer helping them to relax all the way down into that comfortable trance state and allowing their whole body to let go and relax all of those muscles. And so it depends what sort of work and how we're working to what direction we go in really. But it's, yeah, it's taking my client, on a journey and it depends where we decide to go with it Mm -hmm. in order for them to be able to change
0: do do you have a hard time getting people to relax no (laughs) No. (laughs) you would think with all the tension we all have in the world that it's it's hard for people to relax now yeah no
1: No, I haven't found that.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: I've been doing it for the last 22 years. I'm quite good at it.
0: (laughs) And your voice is very, very soothing. So it's like, I yeah, I've listened to you recording and I'm like, ah, (laughs) it's lovely.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Good, good.
0: (laughs) So you also talk about, yeah, the the little voice and you call it your leprechaun on your shoulder that likes to talk to us. Yeah. Um so that's our unconscious mind from things that we believe about ourselves and things that were told to us when we were younger.
1: Yeah, it could be anything. It could be particularly with somebody with a with an eating disorder, it's like a devil sitting on your shoulder whispering in your ear horrible things about about you. And when we for a lot of people we listen to that voice and we believe what it's telling us. But what we need to understand is that it is our, our choice whether we do actually listen to it or not. Because the way, sometimes it was the way that that little devil would speak to you in your ear whispering. He wouldn't even speak to your friend like that. You know, your right. best friend. We can be so horrible to ourselves and listen to and believe what what we're telling ourselves, but it's our choice whether we actually listen or we start to find ways to bat that negative voice away. And one of the ways that I like to teach my clients, it's so simple, but it does work is with the thought stopping technique. So, awareness is the first step to any change so it's being aware of that negative voice that you have telling you what a dreadful person you are because you had uh, you ate the whole packet of biscuits or cookies or whatever it is (laughs) and how awful you are and you're never going to change and we all know this the dreadful way we can talk to ourselves but when you're aware of that negative voice That, at that point, that is when you need to shout, stop at that voice. And then what you do is you tell it to get lost. And the more that you can keep doing that and shouting at that voice. So obviously, if you're at home on your own, perfect, shout out loud. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But But if you're with a group of people, maybe that wouldn't be such a good avenue to go down. So. Shouting it in your head is also very good. But the more that you can keep doing that and not hooking into that negative conversation that you have with yourself and keep shouting at it and, you know, visualize you like taking it out of your head and stamping it on, stamping on the floor and squashing it into the ground. Use your imagination because our imagination is so powerful, and keep shouting stop and then telling it to get lost and then it'll come back again and then keep doing that and keep doing that and eventually over time it will quieten down because you don't need to listen to it
0: it's like re rewiring your brain to think differently and is that like part of a habit right where it takes a certain amount of date was it 60 days
1: yeah, 58 days, they're saying now. It used to be 28, now it's 50-something. Like Great. Mm.
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, why can't it be
1: shorter? <laughs> why can't it be like three days and then we're all changed?
0: Exactly. That would be wonderful.
1: <laughs> but it's having the tools to have, like, different ways. So, like, if you use the tapping, if you do use the thought stopping, and then you could create, like, a good positive affirmation. That you could start repeating to yourself. So then that's also working with the unconscious mind. So an affirmation is a short, simple, positive phrase that you would repeat to yourself over and over and over again. And I say to my clients, a hundred times a day, please. And they're like, what? But if you break it down into, you know, into sections of say 10 or 20 or whatever, it doesn't take very long. You're sitting at the traffic lights. You could just keep repeating it. And the reason for doing something like this, it's working with that subconscious part of your mind because the subconscious mind will go, why does she keep repeating that? What, 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 what? And then it'll go over time. It'll go, oh, okay. So this is the direction that she wants me to help her to go in. This is how she wants me to help her be in the future. So it could be something simple like I'm learning to take the steps to begin to stop overeating certain foods or I'm learning to st- I'm learning to begin to break the pattern of whatever it may be for you. But it's really important that it's worded in the positive, not right. in the negative. So I had a client that came on my weight loss course once and he didn't hear me say it's going to be worded in the positive and so he found that he was putting on weight on my course. So when we investigated, we found that his affirmation, he was saying, I don't want to eat any more chocolate. And what happens is that that part of your mind doesn't hear any negative words that are said to it. So words like can't, don't, won't, the mind doesn't hear So he was actually telling himself, I, to eat chocolate, I'm going, I'm eating chocolate because he took out, he was said. he said something like, I don't want to eat chocolate anymore. So he's actually telling himself, I want to eat chocolate. Right. So therefore he was eating more chocolate and then put more weight on, Put on weight. So it's really important that you understand that when you're talking to yourself, it's worded in the positive. So you don't have this, this hiccup. <laughs> and
0: And that's a Like a lot of us, when we don't know that, we've been doing that for so long. Like, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. and We think we're
1: helping ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. And a good example of it is the example that I like to use is, so if you were to imagine a small child coming down a very steep staircase and the mother's at the bottom of the staircase saying, shouting up, going, don't fall down the stairs. (laughs) Well, the child has to create an image in their head of themselves falling down the stairs and then we'll delete that image. But it's helping to reinforce the fact that they could well fall down the stairs. Well, and I
0: think that's why we also have a lot of, well, there's more reasons for anxiety, but at least some of us, how we grew up, it was like, I grew up in the 80s and our parents were terrified of us getting kidnapped because- you know, that was the scare in in, in those times. And so they held onto us, but everything was terrifying, right? It's like, yeah, don't yeah. don't do that. Uh, uh. And then we get anxiety because you're always like, oh my God, I can I I'm doing all this stuff. Meh. You know? And because it's so easy to say
1: don't or no yeah. and freak people yeah. out, right? <laughs> and that's what everybody does. You know, yeah. like, you know, if you're in the grocery store and you hear, you know, the mother shouting, Oh, don't hit your brother. And then, you know, you see the child hitting the other child and it's like, hmm, because she's actually saying, hit your brother. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Hey guys, I just wanted to take a minute here and say, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate and review. It helps people to find it. If you also want to help support it financially, you can check out buymeacoffee.com backslash step up podcast. Thank you so much. I love you all. Another, another technique you, you suggested. Well, there was two that really stuck out to me. Um, the one was also waiting because when you have that compulsion to binge, yeah, and then you do it right away, you, continue on with that pattern. But if you're able to stop and sit with your feelings and the yeah. more you do that, the longer you can go. And it's, it's a way for you to kind of, even if you might end up doing that binging, you're at least waiting that time. And yeah. so I found that that was super helpful because we can do that. We can sit there and just wait, even though, you know, you might do it. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So So the longer that you can sit there. Yeah. Is it tricking your brain too? Or like, what is the. Well, it's breaking that pattern Mm. and changing that habit. So that is the urge surfing. Right. Yeah. So urge surfing is actually sitting with your feelings and being aware of those feelings and being aware that it is that they, those feelings that are connected to your urge to go and binge are like waves and they come and they flood in. And then if you sit with them, well, they're not going to kill you. They will just begin to like, like when the waves come in on the ocean, they come rumbling in and then they peter out and then they retract back. Well, that's what, that's what the urges are like. They come up and they, come down and they go, they're a bit like on a roller coaster if you sit with them. But then over time, eventually that will all peter out. So what's a what's a really good idea is, is to, when you're ready to sit with that urge and see how long you can sit with it for and t- set a timer. And great, if you can sit with it for 30 seconds, that's fantastic. But then next time, let's see if we can do it for a little bit longer. And then you keep stretching it out and stretching out and stretching it out because it's amazing. Because unless you do, you wouldn't know. But the urge does, it comes on really, really suddenly and strong. And then it starts to subside. And you think, oh, and then it'll go flare up again. And then it goes down and it keeps going up and down. But over time, it will peter out. Right. Yeah.
0: I've tried that. And it's, it's, you're right. It is. It, it, especially if you notice, um, sometimes we'll think I'm hungry, but really you're full.
1: Mm.
0: And I know, I, I think, <clears throat> sorry, I think a lot of our generations, we were told eat everything on your plate. So we never knew what full was. Right. Yeah. And so for years, I mean, I've just been like eating because you're supposed to eat at this time or whatever. But sometimes I'll notice, like, okay, I'm actually full. I'm not hungry. So why am I thinking like that? So when I do pause and then I don't eat because I'm realizing I'm actually my body, listen to your body. I think it's the most important thing, right? Yeah. Like you said, sit with your feelings.
1: Yeah. And just tune me into the hunger scale do you use the hunger scale so the scale from oh. 0 to 10 so 10 is when this is the way that i teach it so 10 is when you are completely full up you're really really stuffed and 0 is when you're so hungry you could eat a horse <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not but you could do so it's so it's having that scale and asking yourself every time you go to eat so where would i be on the hunger scale and ideally you want to be between 4 5 and 6 every time you eat now uh, you don't want to get below the 4 because you know that could be a danger zone when you're too hungry and then we all know what happens then we all overeat or you don't so between 4 5 and 6 and anything over 6 well you're not actually hungry for the food so that is when i would Say to my client, OK, if you're seven or above, I want you to ask yourself, I know I'm not hungry for whatever food it is. I know I'm not actually hungry. What feelings am I trying to change? And you need to start to identify those feelings. And then once you've got a list of feelings, that is when you take your new tapping skills, the emotional freedom technique, and you start to tap on the specific feelings you have. Mm, That's so good. And the other thing is that people using the hunger scale is a great key, is eating slowly and consciously because we, many people wolf down their food without even tasting it. And then they're like, oh, well, I'm still hungry without tuning in. But it's actually being aware of the feeling. Now, I call it a feeling of being moderately full. So most people are aware of the feeling of being full. But right before that, there is a feeling of being moderately full. And for some people, it's a... Feeling a slight flutter that they have in their tummy. For some people, it's a knowing that they've had enough food. Others, it's a feeling of satisfaction. It could be a physical sensation in their tummy of their belt tightening. It could be everybody's different, obviously. So it's different for everybody. But there is a feeling of being moderately full. But because it's only a slight feeling, we are. Because we eat so fast, we over, we just sort of sail over that feeling. We're not stopping and eating slowly and tuning in and looking for that feeling. But the sooner that you can start to tune into that feeling and stop eating at that point, the slimmer you're going to become. Mm. But for everybody, experiment and see. See if you can tune into that feeling because it is there. It's just that we're not taught about it and we have never tuned into it before but if you can not rather than eating all the food on your plate tuning into that feeling of being moderately full and not eating until you're full is a great key to becoming slimmer
0: and don't they also say uh if you want to go for seconds wait 20 minutes because your your stomach is still filling up so you're going to be full
1: yeah. So they say it takes, yeah, 20 minutes for the, for the signal to be sometimes the signal to be sent to the brain for the satiety feeling of being moderately full.
0: I think That's in the, this day and age of being so busy, I mean, when you have a job where you're like within 30 minutes is your lunch. And if you're a minute over, you're like, you get in trouble, you wolf down food. Yeah. And you know, when people are Working at their desk or studying or watching TV, we're trying to do more than two things at once or more than one thing at once. So you're like, I can eat while I do this. And then you're right. We do just kind of fill our mouths and we don't, we're not mindfully. Eating. Eating. Yeah.
1: And that's what we need to do is to eat mindful, mindfully. And it's actually focusing on the food and being aware of the flavors, the textures, the taste, everything about it not sitting there on the computer or or with our phone, reading our phone and just ignoring the food. We need to like get back to the basic and like start to really enjoy our food. And then you'll feel satisfied. And then you're eating slurs. You tune into that feeling of being moderately full. And then you'll have more control to stop eating. You know, another thing is a problem with my clients is that leaving food on the plate. mm, Because we weren't taught to do that when we were younger
0: because of the starving children in africa
1: absolutely and that is another challenge but that's okay because you could use your tapping technique for those feelings that you have connected with leaving the food on the plate because you can change it what's stopping you from just getting up from the table when you're aware of that feeling of being moderately full and going and throwing the food in the bin because You know, you're much less likely to dig it out of the bin. <laughs> well,
0: I remember watch going to restaurants and somebody mentioned something about watch your skinny friends and how they can yeah. they can put away food. Whereas like I had to fit I have to finish, I have to finish. And then I see other oh, oh, I'll get it, I'll get it to go. I'll eat the rest tomorrow. It's like leftovers. And I was like, How do you stop yourself from finishing and all? That was so amazing to me. So yeah, I think uh a lot of us grew up with that kind of,
1: and what was the well, answer when you when you asked, well, how do you stop yourself from not not having to? Reach oh, everything? they're full. See, they're tuning. The slim people are tuning in unconsciously most most of the time to that feeling of being moderately full, because if you went out for dinner with a slim person, a slim person wouldn't have a starter, a main course, and a dessert. It's very unlikely they, you know, maybe they'll have a starter. And then when it comes to the main course, they'll probably leave food on the plate. Yeah, And maybe they'll have a dessert, but they probably won't eat it What if they did. So they're just unconsciously tuning in all the time. They know what food, you know, they don't want to have that full up feeling. They know what food, how much they can eat. So they would maybe not have a starter. And then they'll go straight to the main course, knowing that there's some room for the dessert or whatever. So it's, yeah, watch, you watch, everybody watch somebody that when you go out for dinner, watch somebody that's thin eating and they, they just leave food on the on the plate. They don't even think twice about it. They're not wolfing it down. Well, they might wolf it down, but they'll be tuning in all the time. Yeah, that's so good.
0: I think being, things that I'm learning
1: is we need to be more
0: mindful and intentional about so many things in our lives because we're just going day to day, just trying to get through just trying to get through work, just trying to do these things. Right. And so that, that's where our, our issues like eating disorders or addictions or different things. It's so easy to do because we're just like, I need this to make myself feel better.
1: Yeah. Or an autopilot. Mm. Yeah. And And handling the stress. That's how we handle it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, I would say stress is a very big word though. So what does it actually mean? to you if you were to break it down there's going to be many different avenues to that
0: right because there's a good stress but we we usually talk about it like as in the bad stress because we're like i'm so stressed Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) but the bad but what is stress is it you feeling frustrated and angry and other negative feelings what what does stress mean to you Are you asking me specifically? I am asking you. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well,
0: yeah, that's a really good question too, because then you're more understanding of what is actually triggering you. So for me, it's frustration and overwhelmingness.
1: And overwhelmingness is it.
0: And people pleasing. So if if somebody expects something of me, I'm like, I have to do this right. I'm a kind of a perfectionist, which is why I think I was telling you at my job, I want to get it done. I want to do it right. And so I'm I'm like putting my manager was like, you're putting too much pressure on yourself. I'm like, I do this. I don't know how not to.
1: <laughs> so
0: yeah. then I get stressed and I'm actually doing a lot of it to myself.
1: I don't know. It's it's a long process to kind of work through these things, right? Yeah, because there's so many different avenues. I must just say this. So we have limiting negative beliefs, many of us, of how of what we believe about ourselves. And there are many different types of limiting negative beliefs that people have about themselves. For example, I had a belief from when I was five five years old that I was stupid. Mm. And that started from because my brother used to tell me that all the time, my older brother, constantly in any way he could. And so at, at home, he was always telling me that. And Then when I went to junior school, I was taken out of extra out of classes for extra spelling and reading. But I had to stand up in front of the whole class and be taken out. So then that part of my mind, my unconscious part of my mind part, starts to think, oh, OK, well, at home you're being told you're stupid. Now, oh, look at you, you're being taken out of classes for extra reading. Oh, my gosh. And so my unconscious mind started to think, oh, well. This is obviously the direction that she needs to. We need to help her to go in. So we're going to help her go in that direction. And so then I started to think all the time that I was stupid. And then that pattern carried on and on all throughout school. I didn't do very well in my exams, and it just carried on. And it wasn't until I learned about limiting beliefs that I understood this is what was going on for me. But there's many different types of limiting beliefs that we could have about ourselves. And one of them is having to be in control all the time. One of them is perfectionism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yes, definitely. Yes. And one of them could be um, feeling unloved. Mm -hmm. There's so many different types you could have. So what is important to learn about this is that it all comes back to our thoughts, And what we tell ourselves. So, if we have been thinking this way for that, we have to be perfect for many, many, many years. This is going to be our thought pattern, our process. But it is your choice whether you carry on listening to that voice for the next 50 years, the way it's talking to you and giving you such a hard time because you're not doing everything perfect, or you could start to break that pattern and start to loosen the reins on that perfectionism because that puts so much pressure and then the stress goes on top and then you're in a right state. So there are specific, you know, there is, there is a specific techniques that you can use to break those patterns, but consciously you need to be aware of the thinking again. It comes back to your thinking and It's your choice whether you listen to that or you could start to use the thought stopping and shout at that voice every time. It's oh my God, you haven't done it right again. And you've got to move that number to the left. I don't know what it is. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I was talking to a coworker yesterday. I was like, I just want to do things right. I want to make sure it's good. And she's like, she's also felt similar. Um, but she's like, you also have to just be aware that you're human. I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I have to also sometimes say I don't care because I care too much sometimes.
1: Yeah. And yeah. so if I we like, all like, made mistakes, and that's that's okay to make a mistake.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think for people, um, I know I grew up this way. If you are you make a mistake, it's like the worst thing in the world. That's that's how it's presented to you. Like, why did you do this? And blah, 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 blah. And it's like Okay, so I have to be the perfect little girl. So I'm a rule follower, and I want to please people. And so there's so much that goes back to how you were raised, right? right? And then you have to unpack a lot of those kind of feelings. I know when I was working Mm -hmm. with my life coach, he goes, "Talk to yourself as if like the little girl, um, that's inside of you. She, you're basically her." because you have, you're still dealing with those things that you you learned as a child that you were trying to deal with. And um, I was like, that's such an interesting way of thinking of it, right? Like you wouldn't stuff food in her mouth if you were her mother, right? But you're doing it to yourself. You're doing it to that little girl. And I was like, oh.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh boy. There's so much to unpack with all of these different kinds of things. And yeah, because we've all had so many
1: experiences throughout our lives and everybody's different. And And we, you know, we hold on to those experiences and they just, they're anchors, they're called. An anchor is something that that triggers us back to a past experience. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, if somebody was to smell freshly mowed lawn, it reminds me of when they were young and their dad used to mow the lawn. So that is an anchor, but we all have these but majority the negative anchors that we have from when we were younger, like you've got to finish everything on the plate. Think of those poor African children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and then also give your parents the grace because they were just doing the best yeah. that they could that's what it that's what that culture was at the time. They didn't know yeah, that yeah. we would struggle with these things, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. their parents came from the war, so they were in a mindset of we have to save everything because we don't have much. Right. So you, I mean, you can mm-hmm. see how it, how it progressed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But we
0: need to start to break that
1: pattern. Yeah, for sure. Your awareness is the first step.
0: I actually, my niece, she's, she, I, I, she likes, um, she doesn't really eat a lot of candy and I was like, wow, I, I think that's awesome because you know, I have a tendency to eat too much candy and uh, she, but she likes uh, Skittles. So I remember getting that for her for like Christmas and her birthday and she would have it still, you know, oh yeah, it's in the cupboard. I didn't finish it all. It's like, what? How do you not finish that all at once? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm learning from her too, because she, yeah. she does it. She, she stops when she's, when she's full and I'm like, wow.
1: You need to ask her specifically, how does she know that she has had enough? You know, yeah. what is that full feeling to her? Is it a physical feeling? Is it a thought that she has, or some sort of other sensation, or what is it for her? You should you should do some research and start to learn from other people and how they do it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think my sister was also aware at the time of like, okay, don't force feed them like we were. So if she says she's if she says she's not hungry and she's full, she's full. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. it's amazing. It is amazing. I think the more we learn through these generations, the the younger generations have a lot more to go through and and I mean, they still have their own challenges too, obviously, but the more research that comes about out about these kind of things, you're kind of like, wow. Now they have these resources and they have this understanding, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: pretty exciting. Um I was going to say that so I I don't struggle with bulimia, but I've had I do with binge eating, but I think your book is so helpful for, for all the eating disorders, but also just for healthy lifestyle, healthy living in general, because yeah. you do talk about triggers and tips on living better and mindfulness and all these different things. And I think that that's, we to have to read about those kind of things and kind of ingrain ourselves in that is so helpful. Um, so I would suggest your book, Bulimia Sucks to anybody, whether you have an eating disorder or not, I just think it's and you can also learn about other people who have eating disorders. Because the more you know, you know, you can have more empathy for people struggling
1: with these kind of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think it's particularly with bulimia, if you don't know anything about it, it makes no sense. Why would you want to go make yourself sick after you've eaten? Makes no sense.
0: I used to think I used to think like, I was like, I probably would have been bulimic, but I hated throwing up. It was like the worst thing ever. So I'm like, but yeah, I often wonder about that, you know, like, I don't know, how do people do that? (laughs) But for some people, I mean, did it, because in your book, you mentioned it was kind of a release.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be many different avenues it's something that i could control because there wasn't there was nothing else i could really control in my life and after you have freed yourself of the food and made yourself sick it is a relief you feel calm it helps to because obviously beforehand you feel very very anxious right and tense and uncomfortable Obviously, physically, as well as anything else. And then by making yourself sick afterwards, you just, it's only a brief feeling, feelings that they're only there for a short amount of time, but you do feel calmer. And yeah, and it's a release. And then in comes that negative voice saying, Oh my gosh, you're so disgusting. Shame on you. And then that whole cycle carries on and it goes round and round and round right
0: i mm-hmm. I really appreciated you sharing your story in the book, and um because i I feel like it people trust you because they know that you've been through it, and you also when when celebrities come out and start talking about it, you realize, oh, these people that we put up on this mm-hmm. pedestal, they've dealt with this, so you're like I think it just humanizes us all and makes us all yeah. realize we're not alone,
1: yeah. And that that was when I was younger, that was sort of like the pivotal point of people starting to take heed when I had bulimia because it wasn't actually first labelled until 1979, bulimia, the behaviour. And then it was in the 80s when Princess Diana wrote her book and talked about the fact that she had bulimia. And that's when people kind of started to pay a bit more attention and understand what it is. I mean, that was so huge that she did that. And I have subsequently, since starting at my podcast, written to Prince William. And I asked him to come on my podcast and talk about his experience, how he feels, how proud he is of his mother coming and talking about her bulimia. But I've yet to hear back. I sent him a copy of my book as well.
0: Awesome. I'm waiting
1: to hear back.
0: yes. <laughs> i think that would oh that would be super exciting obviously
1: (laughs) but he has talked in the past about how proud he is of her speaking out at that time about her her eating disorder and so i feel it would be very beneficial for everybody for him to come on my podcast and talk about it
0: yeah because once Mm. people realize a princess that everyone thought was like Mm. perfection right oh you have this and so then more more girls boys, whoever struggle has bulimia will come forward and be like, "Okay, phew, A princess yeah. does that, you know. So it's it's so helpful for people of celebrity status or leadership positions to really I believe in authenticity. i I talk about my struggles a lot, and sometimes I get flack for it, like, or I just get like these pat answers. But I don't know because I've had people come forward and share things with me because they know you're like you've yeah and through it i feel safe with you. you you get
1: it yeah
0: yeah yeah i think that's important
1: and also with bulimia is that i don't know if you've seen it have you seen the tv show the crown yes yes and then how they're portraying and and uh, diana with her bulimia so that's mm-hmm. kind of helped to uh, sort of s- open the door again to people with eating disorders which is very powerful yes mm.
0: Yeah, that's a great show. I mean, there's so much negative stuff about it, like, oh, they're doing this. But it's really intriguing. And, and, you know, maybe not everything's historically correct or like nobody's really there except the family themselves. But it's really interesting to for us to kind of at least glimpse into what we think it might be like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, let me tell you this funny story. So this happened like two years ago. And where I live in London, I live between Windsor Castle and Buckingham Palace cool. on that route. And I've never seen the Queen driving around. <laughs> I've, I I imagine her to drive around in her, be driven around in her great big black Rolls Royce or whatever it is with the flag on top. But apparently that is not the case. But my son, <laughs> let me tell you this story. My son and his friend were driving a white van and it was about a mile away from where we live, and they were parked. At, they were stopped at the lights, and then this car—I won't say what sort of car it was, but it was a—it was—it wasn't a big black Rolls Royce. Pulled up next to them, and from how they were parked, the passenger seat was next to them, and they looked over, and there was the Queen sitting in the back of this car. Cool. Did she wave? <laughs> Can you believe it? And they were like, "What on earth?" <laughs> and then, so no, so there was a there was two of these matching cars. One was in front, and which was full of big bodyguards. And then there was two bodyguards in the front of, the, of this car. And then there was the queen sitting in the back, and she so had like cool. a blanket over her. <laughs> and the man in the in the driver, the driver must have said, to, oh, so you've been clocked, you know, look over to the left or something. So she didn't look at my son, but they were like sitting right next to her and they pulled up at the lights. And there she was. That is so cool. Oh, but the car in front was full of great big beefs that had. Had had caught them as well And were like Okay We're on guard here But then the lights changed And everybody went off But they were like Step harder Then they stopped at the lights And they looked over And there was the queen The windows weren't Black tower Anything she was just sitting
0: there That's surprising You would think they would Black out all that stuff Like for Like the presidents have Or whatever
1: Yeah so she obviously going From Windsor (laughs) Castle To Buckingham Palace And it was like amazing (laughs) So exciting But I know other people That live around here That have also seen her in a in cars you know around not hmm. I'd be too distracted
0: if I lived where you lived I would I'd always be like hanging around wanting to catch a glimpse <laughs> of the queen
1: <laughs> but I'm yes saying, I mean you've
0: lived there you, you're used to
1: it but <laughs> yeah yeah but I've never seen her around but loads of people have I suppose I've never been on the lookout <laughs> I've just probably I mean, don't know never seen her <laughs> <laughs> but well, they came back and they were so excited. They were like, "Oh my god, we just saw the Queen!" <laughs> I would be too. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'd post it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Kate, plug your book and your podcast and your courses. <laughs> Where can people reach you and find oh, you?
1: Thank you, Stephanie. So my email address is uh, my website address. Let's let's give that. So it's Kate Hudson Hall dot com and all the information is on there there's information about my book so the the book bulimia sucks and then i've got a workbook and a food journal and i've just finished a bulimia sucks coloring book and all those books are available on amazon
0: amazing and the coloring book looks super fantastic you showed me pictures
1: Yes, yes it It has sayings in it
0: sayings in it
1: yeah. So it's got quotes on each mandala, and then it also has next to the the mandala and the quote, it has a question, what you can learn about that quote about yourself. And then you can write down how you feel or what you've learned from that. Awesome. From that quote.
0: Well, Kate, you're doing amazing work and I really appreciate you and all that you're doing. And guys, bulimia sucks is so good. So check it out. Thank you oh, so thank much, you, Kate, Stephanie. You this has been on. so much fun. It has. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Steph underscore and underscore web, Instagram, Stephanie underscore and underscore web, Facebook, Stephanie and web, and my website is Stephanie where you can find my podcast episodes for the Stuff Up Podcast and check out my blog. And you can buy my children's book called What Should Dragon Do? A story about living together with other people, how to handle the little situations, and how to live together with kindness. I appreciate you all. You are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye!